Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, and today on the Better Off Podcast, we're talking human capital, how to make the most of your career, how to switch careers. It's Alex Kavalakis and Catherine Minshew, the women behind TheMuse.com, an amazing career website. We are for people who care about their careers and are trying to move forward in them. And that could be a new grad. It can be people who are five to 10 years into their careers and looking to get ahead. But we have a lot of people who are also reinventing themselves, entirely new industries who are laid off after 20 years at the same place. We felt like there was this incredible match between talented people that were open to considering a wider set of options than they had in the past and companies that were ready and willing to hire, but weren't always sure how to do that effectively. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast. We're sponsored by Betterment, the smarter way to invest your money. Okay, so you know that every week we try to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and your life. This week, we're talking about a huge part of your life, and that is your career. And of course, we're about to enter graduation season. Maybe you've got kids that are graduating. Maybe you yourself are graduating. Maybe this is a time where you say, okay... It's time for me to take a look at what's going on in my own job. What do I need to do to upgrade my career? What do I need to do to really start to take advantage of the fact that the jobs market has improved pretty dramatically over the last 18 months or so? Well, I've got a great idea. Stay tuned because this is an interview that we have conducted with Alex Kavalakis and Catherine Minshew, they are the creators of the website, themuse.com. And, you know, they have a slightly different take on how to actually conduct your next job search. They do it differently than a lot of the other sites out there. And I think what you'll see is that the energy and enthusiasm that they infuse into this topic It is actually infectious. Before we get to the interview, just a quick favor. Could you hop on to betteroffpodcast.com and take our survey? It'll be really quick. We promise. We want to find out what you like about the show, what you don't like, how we can improve it, maybe guests that you might be interested in, betteroffpodcast.com. And now here's our interview with the women behind the muse. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, it's time for the big interview. We have... Two guests in studio, exciting. Alexandra Kavalakis, who we're going to call Alex. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Catherine Minshew. Great to be here. I'm excited. They are the founders of themuse.com. Uh, well, how would you describe that? Yeah. Like, let's just give us our, our one sentence elevator pitch of themuse.com. Yeah, we describe it as the most trusted and beloved place to navigate your career, used I'd by uh, 50 million people a year to figure out what they want to do with their lives. All right. I like that. They also have a new book out, The New Rules of Work, and we're going to get into that. But first, here in Better Off, we start every interview with a question. You ready? This is very important. (laughs) All right, Alex, what is the best money decision that you have ever made? I'd say the best money decision I've ever made is to always pay off my credit cards in full. Nice. That's a good one. Catherine? You know, I would say uh, mine was... um, that when I had uh, my first job, um, I lived as if I was on half the salary that I was making. And I put 
everything extra into savings, into an emergency fund. And that's what actually enabled me a couple years later to leave that job, um, move to East Africa, work in healthcare, and then start the Muse and go for a long time without being as worried about money uh, as I would have been if I hadn't kind of packed every last dollar away in the early days. So it's so true because I always say like, you know, savings is not just like, oh, I want to have a huge retirement. It's, hey, I want opportunity. And if you want to start your own business, you know, no one's just going to hand you money. You got to start somewhere. You've got to be able to have something to Mm -hmm. begin with. So let's talk a little bit about The Muse and how it started. Now, first of all, how do you guys know each other? (laughs) So we actually met uh, working at McKinsey a couple years ago, probably eight years ago now. And and we became pretty fast friends right away, even though we are very, very different. Well, hold on. How so? Um, I think I'm more of the classic consulting archetype and found uh, a lot of the work we did really energizing. And Catherine knew very quickly that it wasn't necessarily a long-term career path. Wait a second, Alex. You mean you loved working those 100 hours and going flying someplace every single week? I'm still working 100 hours. Yeah, but flying it's for a you. Lot less. <laughs> it's, for your, it's different when it's your own baby. Totally. It's true. I, I, just, I love solving really hard problems with really smart people. And I got a chance, even though there were good and bad days and good and bad teams, I got a chance to work on some really gnarly, interesting projects. Like I actually worked on retirement readiness. I spent three months figuring out for different age and income segments how ready will people be the day that they retire versus how ready they should be. What are those gaps? How do you help different age and income segments prepare? Like there's some really interesting big problems and I enjoyed that. Oh, that's cool. And and uh, Catherine, why did you not? Oh, man. Um, you know, I, I would say that um, in some ways I've got a little bit of the artist or creative archetype in that um, I don't always love uh, really rigid schedules. I really like talking things out and brainstorming and ideas. You know, I think for me, um, the quality and also the sort of goodness of the people that I work with is critically important. I worked with some amazing people um, at my time there, but, you know, I also worked with a number of extremely challenging folks. I think it was great for me, but let's not say it was, you know, maybe my favorite thing ever. And on top of that, um, given the the work that I ended up doing, I spent most of those years flying to Brexville, Ohio, O'Fallon, Missouri, Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, Monday morning, 7 a.m. flight out, Thursday, getting home at 11 p.m. And, you know, I just I knew I wanted something else. I didn't know what it was. And that kind of gets to where the idea for the muse came from. But I knew that um, I just wasn't cut out to be a consultant. I also I really like sort of uh, what is it, you know, rolling up your sleeves and getting like up to my elbows in something where I am responsible if it succeeds or it fails. And you can do that sometimes in that line of work. But for some of my projects that was, you know, advising other people on on their challenges, which could be gratifying, but I I don't know. I just I had this hunger to sort of own something and see, you know, live or die by um by the success of that thing. I presume that working for a big consultancy like McKinsey is a great preparation in starting a company because you know, you sort of see the pitfalls of young companies and even midsize and big companies. So talk about once you became fast friends, what happens next? How does the muse begin? <laughs> so um, it started with a number of conversations. Um, we had a tradition of every Thursday night, if we get back from our various uh you know, clients Lights early <laughs> enough. Exactly. We'd go to the same place with our suitcases and uh, catch up on the week. And get wasted. Uh, well, Probably. you know, every Just now wasted. and then. Yeah, it takes me about little. one glass of wine. Nice. <laughs> so it's really not a high bar. All right. So wait a second. So you're a wine drinker. And what's your drink, Alex? Cocktails. Nice. Particularly bourbon, I would say. <gasps> 
Look at Mark. He's so happy. We are the dark liquor crowd here Is at Better Off. Is it five o'clock somewhere? Somewhere. <laughs> my grandfather used to say, we got your back, Alex. Thank Don't worry. You. Come, this come and play with us. This interview would get a whole lot more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you'd meet, you'd have your drinks, and then what happened? Yeah, and, and, and we would talk. And one of the threads of conversation was, uh, what did I want to do next? Uh, we would talk about our work. And, and again, Alex was really fulfilled, and she was thriving, and she loved it. And I was like, okay. I cannot imagine being here in five years, but I don't know what I want. And so we would talk about how hard is it to figure out what that next step is in your career. And at the same time, we also talked a lot about career advice, I guess, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word. So, you know, you go into a client situation, they look at you and they size you up and they say, "Um, you're probably, you know, the person who's going to grab me coffee. How do you establish authority when you go into a meeting where you're the youngest person there or you're the only woman or frankly, you just don't know the other people and they don't know you? How do you present yourself and contribute your ideas in a way that gets you taken seriously and that lets you accomplish your career goals? And those goals look different for different people. So we had this very kind of wide-ranging series of conversations about how do you get professional satisfaction, what does that look like, Mm -hmm. and how do you behave in a workplace environment um, in a way that's designed to to further that. And I think there was, I mean, I had a lot to learn. Um, I went into the workplace very green. And so, you know, I I also got really excited about this idea. And and Alex and I started talking about how could we take some of the lessons we were learning and potentially share them with other people. And so our first idea was actually just a blog, a career blog. (laughs) And when was that? What, What year? So we started the business in 2011, Mm -hmm. and we always knew that there'd be a component around company culture and helping people sort of match them to a company that was a good fit. But we also knew that to succeed, we had to focus. And so we started by really building up expert killer career advice. Talk about, you know, the questions we'd ask ourselves weren't being represented in the media. You know, we weren't finding good advice very easily. This is six, almost six years ago now. This is pre-Lean In. This is pre-a lot of movements that people are familiar with now. Um, at the time, you know, the first person I managed was 10 years older than me and had been a professor at Columbia. Wow. How do I navigate that situation? No one on the internet was able to answer that question in a way that felt like it actually resonated with me or was seemed like useful advice. Um, and then McKinsey itself, as Catherine described, it wasn't a good fit for us, but a big part of that was actually the company culture question. And we realized neither one could have of us could have known beforehand wait a which minute, one wait. of us would have succeeded. Okay, th- that's interesting. So when you talk about company culture, and let's just think about like you're coming out of college. And I'm, I'm thinking about my nephew, who is also a consultant now, mm-hmm. and he graduated from Penn last spring. And, um, you know, he said, I want to be a consultant. And I remember my sister and I were like, does he really know what that means? Yeah. Right. You know, so <laughs> very common. Right. And, and you know, it was just I don't know, like you get pushed in a direction. I'm wondering if if he were to go to the muse and he read about all the different like the what's the difference between McKinsey, Bain, uh, strategy and or PwC, mm-hmm. and you're going to have that kind of information at the Muse. Would you? Would he be someone who could like use that information? Yeah, we focus on um, what are the differences between different career paths and industries overall, and then within those uh, specific functions or industries, yeah, what's the difference between different companies? And so perhaps it's um, video interviews with employees at three different companies that seem similar to just ask them, you know, what's a typical day in the life? What drew you here? Um, what you know? What type of person would really be excited and succeed and be happy at this company and in this role? And what sort of person might be a little bit more frustrated? And what 
what's really interesting to us is that you find these companies that look so similar on the surface, right. same industry, same size, you know, similar competitive profile, and they are wildly different inside. And I think that you know what you said, it touches on the fact that a lot of people, especially um, when you're moving into a new industry or you're early in your career, you know the options that are that are right in front of you, and maybe that's because it's your your friends or your parents or the um, the companies that recruit, you know, from your university. But that's not the full option set. And so we also wanted to give people more of a peek inside what are all of the choices available to you? What are some of the trade-offs? The, again, the, yeah, the different cultures of those workplaces, um, because they have very distinct personalities, frankly, just like people. <laughs> if you had known today, back then, would you have thought, Catherine, that you would have been successful at McKinsey? Or would you have known... Uh, you know, if I'd done a little more research, I probably wouldn't even gone into consulting. Or I don't know, but or I yeah. would have chosen a different company. You know, it's funny. I am really grateful that I went there because I do think it was such a boot camp style learning experience for me that was really valuable. At the same time, I think if, I, if I'd understood more about company culture, I wouldn't have beaten up on myself for not fitting into some of the elements that are just different. You know, for example, McKinsey's a place where you communicate in three bullet points. Do you have something to say? Great. Structure it, give three supporting pieces of evidence, wrap it up, and be done. And that's so funny. That'd be perfect for network news. I could probably work be. there because that's exactly <laughs> what they told me when I first started. This is my second career. But when I came in, they were like, if you can't put it on a graphic in three bullet points, forget it. Yeah. Like, it's too much. Exactly. And that was a great skill set to pick up. It's it's definitely helped me uh, as the muse has grown, as I've done more media interviews. But at the same time, you know, I felt bad to some extent for sometimes having a different communication style. And I think it was really helpful for me to realize that um, the different doesn't doesn't necessarily mean bad. And if you find a culture that fits your most um, natural, authentic style, it is so much easier to both be successful and feel validated. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, we'll be right back with our interview with Alex Kavalakis and Catherine Minshew, the women behind themuse.com. You're spending all this time and energy thinking about a lot of things in your life. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's how to be your authentic self at work. You know what? A lot of people are worried about their money. They're worried about their investments. They worry that they're not going to have the same life in retirement that they have right now. And instead of spinning your wheels and worrying about that, maybe we should do something. Our sponsor, Betterment, believes that they've got answers to your big money questions. They've got technology that helps you plan for the future and manage your investments intelligently with special attention paid to lowering fees and minimizing taxes. They've got globally diversified portfolios. They automatically rebalance. There's tax efficiency, award-winning customer service, and yes, they are fiduciaries. And now for those who may have more complex finances or maybe you just want someone to talk to, Betterment offers two additional service plans that give you access to a team of CFP professionals and licensed financial experts. You know I like that. I'm a CFP myself. You don't have to waste your time and money planning for the future. Sign up through our podcast link and you can get one month managed for free. Visit Betterment.com slash better off for the offer and more information. And now, back to our big conversation with Alex Kavalakis and Catherine Minshew from TheMuse.com. So The Muse is, I mean, it's for everyone, and you've got a huge user base, millions and millions of people. But are you focusing more on your own age group? You are 
very young. I and <laughs> I, I'm reluctant to say how young, but you're millennials. So is that your focus for the muse, or is it kind of everyone? How do you think about it? Yeah, it's it's a great question. I think the way we look at it is we are for people who care about their careers and are trying to move forward in them. And there's a lot within that. And that could be a new grad who's trying to figure out what to do for the first time. It could be your nephew figuring out, is consulting really right for me? Um, It can be people who are five to 10 years into their careers and looking to get ahead. But we have a lot of people who are also reinventing themselves, going into new, entirely new industries who are laid off after 20 years at the same place or who are returning to the workforce after either being in the military or um, taking time off for family reasons. And so in all of those situations, people are actually asking themselves that same question. It's, it's funny, in the book, the first whole first section of it is helping people figure out what do you even want to do? And that process is actually similar whether you are 22, 32, or 42, if you're stuck by the way, let me just say the the new rules of work, which we will link to in our show notes, the modern playbook for navigating your career. I read while I was a little under the weather, and so I've folded down many, many, many pages. We will not get to all of this. Um, but you talk about the tools for discovery, and you did mention the Muse method. Let's talk about Mark, the producer. I'm stuck, and uh, before he had this fabulous job. Um, what would have been the way to help him figure out what he could do next? Yeah. So the the first step that we tell people is making sure that you think about what it is that you want and that you value. I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is trying to fit into some external view of success. And if you are trying to optimize for stability, compensation, and uh, upwards mobility, you're going to make different choices than if you want flexibility, creativity, and autonomy, right? Those are very different um, priorities. And your priorities may even change throughout your life. So the first step for Mark would be really taking the time to think about, these are the things I want, and these are the things that are kind of deal breakers for me. Um, And once you have that, you can actually then compare that to the functions and industries you might be interested in. So he might put in production, he might put in sales or marketing or PR, and then there's a whole research process, both things you can do online on your own, but also in talking to people within your network, reading books, whatever it might be to realize, huh, I didn't realize that there wouldn't be so much autonomy in sales, or there's more than I thought there would be. And it lets you really make those trade-offs. And I think what's interesting about that process is, and again, we will use Mark as our example, (laughs) is that, um, so Mark and I used to do, or we still do, a call-in radio show. And he was working at CBS, I was working at CBS, and we met, and we launched the show together about six years ago. And from the beginning, he kept saying to me, we got to do a podcast. We got to do a podcast. And we got to figure out how to like take this on the take this act on the road. And I will say one thing. He was very directed and sort of said, like, I think this is the path. And I kept saying, can you be patient? Because I need to, we need to build up some reputation. We need to I need to get my brand going. And then so what I also think is interesting is when you create these sort of wish list or you call it the muse grid that sometimes it doesn't happen immediately. And how important is that in in the advice part of this? That like you can put this together and it doesn't have to go into effect immediately, right? Yeah, people are hard on themselves. We, we talk about the next three to five years. So I think the two ways in which people are hard to themselves are either this needs to happen now or, oh my gosh, I need to know what I want to do for the rest of my life. That's a really big decision. It sure is. You don't need to know what you want to do for the rest of your life. If you do, that is amazing. But if you don't, three to five years is a great time horizon. And so it might be in the next three to five years, I'd be really excited to launch a podcast. What are the steps 
and the right roles or opportunities or experiences that'll help me get there. He just hitched his wagon to me and I hitched my wagon to him and here we are together. All right. So, Catherine, when you look at the landscape, the jobs landscape, the labor market, okay, you guys start this this business essentially, you know, a year after the job market completely gets shellacked. It bottoms out in the beginning of 2010. It's coming back. What are you hearing from the user base about how to navigate this new labor market? It was a really interesting time for a lot of people um, because, on one hand, uh, the the sort of classic contract between employer and employee uh, took a lot of hits. People no longer felt like the right answer was always to, um, you know, to borrow a phrase from you, to hitch their wagon to one employer, to to sort of commit for a really long period of time. At the same time, a lot of people were forced out of traditional careers in the recession, in the downturn, and had discovered um, other things they might be interested in, sometimes out of necessity. So all of a sudden, there was this movement of people saying, um, what do I actually want to do? And it was challenging to to find a job, but employers were also finding it was actually also pretty challenging to find great people. Because after a couple of years in which they hadn't been hiring, they hadn't often been investing a lot in talent, suddenly companies were starting to see the economy swing back up and they were like, all right, let's do this. We need great people. And so we felt like there was this incredible match between talented people that were open to considering um, a, you know, a wider set of options than they had in the past and companies that were ready and willing to hire but weren't always sure how to do that effectively. And that was a, a match where, I mean, obviously there's a lot of players in the space. You've got you know, the LinkedIn's and Indeed's of the world. Um, but honestly, we, we thought that there was um, some real big pieces of the puzzle being missed that we could come in and do better. Before we started, um, Alex and I off air, we were talking a little bit about her, you know, fanciful coding expertise. And um, I'm wondering, do you think that the Muse is more qualitative than quantitative in terms of how employers are looking for future employees? Do you think that they're looking at more of the, the color commentary and getting more out of your site than others? That's a good question. I think different employers have different things they're looking for realistically, but what they, we believe good employers and employers that are going to thrive in this environment um, are looking for is people who fit their mission, their goals, and their culture, and who want to be there, who want to be in these roles and want to grow. And so the companies that work with us oftentimes do so, so they can really showcase what it's like. And it might be a company that has a well-known consumer brand, but no one knows what they actually, what it's like to work there and wouldn't think to work there, even though they'd shop there all day long. Or it could be a company that's going through a big transformation. um, And there's a lot of new roles they're hiring for. Uh, They need data scientists. They have a huge data set. It's really exciting. But no one knows that that's something that they're that's happening. Telling that story, um, as well as for smaller companies you might have never heard of, yeah. we've worked with a lot of small companies to very successfully hire because they can't, com- you know, if it's just a list of logos, it's really hard to stand out. It but is. if you can show the culture of the offices and the mission, um, people get really excited. So let's talk a little bit also about the like the changing labor market and like some of the old stuff that still kicks around because you've got a chapter, which I loved, about your application. <laughs> and um, I, I love this, the the subtitle, wait, do I really still need a resume and cover letter? Catherine, do mm-hmm. I? You do. Darn you it. Do. Um, you know, with the exception of a few 
more highly creative roles and companies, most employers are still using the resume and cover letter because they have systems in place that they use to track and manage applications. And I think that uh, the process of getting noticed, getting your foot in the door, and um, ultimately getting a job at a lot of these companies, at most companies, is a balance between understanding the rules of the game and playing enough by those rules that you don't unintentionally get cut out or shut out, but also knowing where it's okay to be different. And, you know, what's interesting is you also have a really important chapter about interviewing because, all right, so let me just do a little thing about resumes, which is my pet peeve, because I owned a company for for 14 years. First of all, do not have a typo on your resume. Mm, That is so bad for, like, an English major Mm -hmm. that, like me. Don't put your baloney on there. I don't need your extra crap. You know, like some a little bit, but like one line max. Exactly. And the interview, I think, is so weird in a, in a strange way because it's like speed dating. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about the art of the interview. And Alex, how do you see that today? And what do millennials need to know when they're talking to a boomer or a Gen X person? Yes, I think I think the rules are actually the, the same for, for everyone, which is Know what's on your resume inside and out. If it's there, it's fair game. And think about you're there not just to tell them what you want, but to make sure that you are what they want. And it goes both ways. And so I think people tend to skew actually one side of the spectrum or the other. Either it's all about me. Let me tell you what I'm looking for, which is not interesting to an employer. That's not why they're hiring you to make your dreams come true. But um, there's also the other side, which is just telling them what they want to hear and not taking the time to figure out if it's a fit for you. And so it's really taking that balance. I'd say it's 80 percent show them how you can help solve their problems, 20% ask questions or get information to see if it's a fit for you. One of the things we encourage people to do over and over again on The Muse and in the new rules of work is research. And one of the reasons for that is that you can gather a lot of context about the level of formality that is expected in a company. And then in general, for an interview, you should kick that up a couple of notches. So, for example, we often find sometimes that newer graduates, you know, they're they're very used to um, social media is very informal. A lot of obviously student and campus interactions are very informal. And sometimes they will very much misunderstand. And and formality, and it's funny, it gets a it gets a bit of a, a bad rap, but I actually think understanding, you know, when is it appropriate to come into an interview, say, Oh, uh, by the way, can I plug in my phone? Can I do this? How are you? Blah blah blah. Contractions. Sometimes that can be at certain environments, that's perfectly fine, but in an interview it's probably not the right place. So we often encourage people, you know, put on a little bit um, of put a little care into thinking about how do you present yourself and how do you make sure that you're respectful um, and not just sort of, you know, coming in like a, a little bit of a tornado because that often um, is not the best foot forward in an interview. And it can go the other way, too. If you're interviewing for a startup and you come in in a suit, some startups actually see that as you not understanding their culture, even though you're perfectly capable of wearing jeans. And so finding that balance, if you're looking at pictures at the office, everyone's in jeans and a T-shirt, then maybe you wear jeans, a button-up, and a blazer. You know, you take it a level up, but you're not going so far as to feel like you don't fit in. Well, I think I think it's great advice. And I love the book, The New Rules of Work, The Modern Playbook for Navigating Your Career. Alex Kavalakis, Catherine Minshew, we're finishing up the interview with a very important last question. You ready? Ready. Ready. We talked about your best money moves. What's your worst money move in your very young life? So, Alex, start with your worst, and uh, Catherine gets a little few minutes to think about it. I would say my worst money move is something I haven't done, which is I have not really taken the time to get comfortable or spend the time investing. So I, at this point, have some money, not a huge amount, but I haven't taken the time really to 
think about how I'd want to put that into the stock market. So I've done sort of lower risk faces. I've I put money into retirement accounts, but I, I think there's some opportunity at this stage in my life to do more of that. And it's really been something I, I think it's been a miss so far. Oh, well, let me make a plug for our sponsor. Maybe you should go check out Betterment.com. Use the hashtag. We use Betterment for our f- company's 401k. Right. So that's one of my things for the next year or so is to, to get more into the investing game. Fantastic. Okay, Catherine, worst money mistake. Oh my goodness! Um, you know this is this is a hard one. I, I'll definitely echo Alex that um, I am committing this year and I, and and spending some time becoming even more savvy. I would say that um, for a lot of my. Uh, early career, I was incredibly focused on saving. As I mentioned earlier, um, knowing that I probably wasn't going to stay in consulting long term, I put every dollar away. You know, I would be that that person that went out to drinks and was like, "I'll just have tea um, <laughs> or you know, water." Yeah, <laughs> I've no, been there. She was there. It, it did not make me the most popular person at McKinsey. Um, but uh, but I would say, and I don't. I mean, it's funny. I've made a ton of smaller money mistakes, but I think in one hand, I I think that. Um, the thing that comes to mind is I actually carried a lot of guilt around about spending. So when I would decide to spend, in some cases, I would feel really bad about it because I almost had decided that every penny should have been saved. And I think that um, I became much just happier and more content when I figured out you know, how to both budget but also give myself permission to spend a certain piece um, of what I was making and then obviously focus a certain piece on saving as well. You know what? I would be happy to go out with my mother and you and me and we'll teach you how to spend. We'll be <laughs> very happy to do that. Amazing. Mrs. Schlesinger's spending boot camp. Thank you. That <laughs> is so thoughtful. I know. I want it. I, I am real, it's like the Red Cross here. <laughs> Alex Cavalakis, Catherine Minshew, they are the founders of themuse.com. They're new book, The New Rules of Work, and uh, I'm so delighted that you joined us today. Thanks so much. Thank you for having us. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, now it's time for our favorite part of the program. It's your calls, and today we are so excited to have Mr. Ryan from Arizona. If you, like Ryan, have a personal finance question, investments, retirement, credit, anything, just shoot us an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. That's Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. So, Ryan, what can I do for you today? Well, Jill, I just had a question because I, I'm a faculty member at a public university, and my retirement uh, is right now with that public university. Okay. And I'm, I'm fairly early in my career, and I don't know necessarily where that career will take me, whether it will be to continue in the public sector or if I'll be doing contract work with private companies and so on and so forth, or maybe even changing states. Um, so I just wondered if you have any advice for people like me who aren't really sure what sector they're going to continue to be in as time goes on. So when you say, okay, you're, you're a faculty member at a public university, do you have two different types of retirement options? Is one a public pension plan and then another being a supplemental plan? Right. Okay. Yeah. So the, I auto, they automatically take, uh, like, I think 12%. Right. Of my paycheck and uh, match that as well. Which is pretty awesome, right? Here's the good news. It's like, you know, you're not going into the private sector and getting that. But that said, regardless of where you go, I still love the idea of being part of that because, you know, I guess at some point you can make a decision about, you know, taking that money and rolling it over. The question is whether you have to have a certain amount of time 
into your system before you get the matched component back. So it, that's that's the tricky part. So, for example, uh, you know, I work in New York State, and until I have 10 years into the system, I am not actually able to grab the money. But you don't have a choice on that, really. You don't. Isn't it a mandatory, the mandatory amount that comes out, you're still going to do that. The, the second part of it is whether you can do something that you would contribute to that's not necessarily mandatory, but maybe a 403B or a 457 plan is what it would look like. Do you have something like that available to you right now? Well, the, the we do have an option to do a supplemental post-tax mm-hmm. retirement plan, uh, but they, they limit it to the firms that you can, can use. Ah, uh, interesting. Uh, and I actually, I have... A pretty good chunk of change from another state mm-hmm. uh, when I moved here, and I actually rolled that over into, interestingly, a Betterment account. Uh huh. Um, so I have that sitting over there, and I have the public accounts on the other side. But yeah, it, it just kind of goes on its own. I don't even think about it. But I do, I do contribute to Roth and you know do do all that good stuff. Do you have more money available to contribute? You know, like, without making yourself crazy either. I don't want you said you're relatively young, so I don't, you don't have to put a hundred percent of every single dollar available. But you have to have a life. But do you have extra money that you could put to to work? Um, I I do some investing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing nothing major, but yeah, I mean I. I do what I can without, like you said, kind of you know ruining the lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think I would really worry about in in terms of you know whether or not you should keep doing what you're doing. I think you should, but if you are going to start to move into maybe more of a consultative practice, the thing you might want to check out is whether you will start to have enough income doing something else that would allow you to create your own retirement account. Meaning, let's just say today, how much do you make as a, as your young faculty member? (laughs) Um, It's around 60. Okay. If you could have enough time, would you be able to make how much money maybe doing some consulting on the side or what, what would be like an ideal amount of time slash money that you could see yourself earning doing something else on the side? You know, I'm, I'm honestly not even sure. It's It depends. Um, I'm non-tenured right now, but I'm hoping to become tenured at some point. Mm-hmm. And that takes a, a gigantic amount of time. But that's also, I'm, I'm sure you're aware, that is like a tangible asset. Right. Absolutely. Tenure. Yeah. I mean, look, if I could be a tenured professor, which is what I always wanted to come back to in life, I would always want to be a tenured professor. Um, I would then start shoveling away as much money as possible into supplemental plans and not worry about where I go next or what I do because everything is going to be able to kind of roll into the next thing. So that I wouldn't worry about. And if you decide that maybe you were to leave academia and and go work in the private sector, then that would be a whole different question about like, well, is that going to be a job? Is that going to be consulting? What's going to be the nature of the income? You'd probably make more money without as many guarantees and be able to put away a ton of money. So, I mean, I think that When you are looking at retirement for someone like you, where you're not 100% sure what your next direction is going to be, you do exactly what you're doing, which is you use what's in front of you, your plan that's available. You use your Roth IRA. You have a little, I mean, honestly, I would also have like a little bit of non-retirement money. You're young. And just in case you have some opportunities and you think you want to make a leap to have a little bit of an extra large nest egg. That would be pretty good in my mind for someone like you. And I also don't 
think you should get too wrapped around the axle about this because it sounds like you're doing a very good job. And you don't have to, like I said, you don't have to forego like living your life to to, to make sure every single dollar gets put away. So I, I think you're, it sounds to me like you're on the right track and your retirement is probably going to be pretty well set, especially if you stay in that public sector in, in that position. But if it's not, I also think you're going to have that opportunity to put more money away. Because honestly, if you leave the public sector, you're probably going to make more money than 60 grand. Yeah, well, that, yeah. <laughs> that, that is a consideration. Absolutely. But I, but I appreciate you kind of confirming that I'm not missing something big. No, you're, you're not missing anything big. I mean, it's great that you're thinking about it, but don't sweat it. I think you're in good shape. That's well, good to hear. All right. Good to hear from you. And thanks for calling. Take care, Ryan. Thanks, Joe. Bye. That's another episode of the Better Off Podcast. Want to thank Alex Kavalakis and Catherine Minshew, the women behind themuse.com. And thank you for listening. Don't forget, we've got our bonus episode that comes out on Tuesdays and the longer form every single Thursday. You can subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Jill on Money. That's at Jill on Money. Just use the hashtag BetterOff. You can also reach me via email. Ask Jill at BetterOffPodcast.com. That's Ask Jill at BetterOffPodcast.com. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review or a rating in iTunes. It really will help us out. BetterOff is sponsored by Betterment. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Delercio produces. I'm Jill Schlesinger. See you next week.